Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. Today's guest is Carolyn Gray, an artist and filmmaker from Winnipeg, who is one of five filmmakers selected for the first ever Cinematoba Film Fest, which is a partnership between the Winnipeg Foundation and the National Screen Institute. Carolyn's film is called Escape, and it's all about Manitoban and legendary escape artist Dean Gunnarsson. In this episode, Carolyn talks about her film Escape, which is based on a true story, exploring the unique bond between an unlikely duo, Dean, who is a cancer survivor and magician, and Phil, a child struggling with his own illness. And together, their bond creates real magic. We also talk about her process, her origins, and why she chose Dean to make a short film about, and how his story profoundly affected her and her artistic career. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in office, in our final, in our Winnipeg Foundation offices by Carolyn Gray. She's a filmmaker for Cinematoba who created the movie Escape. Carolyn, thank hey. you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. So we're going to talk about, you're a part of Cinematoba. We're going to talk about your background a little bit, and we're going to talk about Escape, your film that is debuting September 27th, or will have debuted September 27th by the time people hear this. Um, but before we get into Escape, let's just talk about you a little bit. Um What's your story? How did you get into well, film? <laughs> I, I understand you have a theater background, is that right? Or maybe just take me back to the beginning of how you got started in this beautiful art form. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a theater background. I went to, um, I took theater at the University of Winnipeg in the 80s. Nice. But only, What was that like? <laughs> oh, it was um, a whole different world, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I only took theater because there was no film mm. then. And um, and then I kind of fell into theater after um, that program. It was really, it was kind of, those were wild and woolly days at the U of W. And um, there was a very charismatic theater prof named Alan Williams who um, began a, um, a theater company called the Rude Players because in first year theater, you're not allowed to perform. Mm-hmm. So, um, and a lot of people hated that. So we started this uh, company where um, you create your own work uh, through improv. It's the Mike Lee method, um, and we all know Mike Lee from films like Topsy Turvy or Naked. And um, it's a really intensive um, process where you choose somebody that you know and you, um, you kind of live their life mm. for, you know, a lot of people say they work in the Mike Lee method, but actually, like, you can't do improv in the Mike Lee method for about six months. It's about six months of getting intensively into the mind of that character, mm. dressing as they do and going out on the street. Um, wow. he, the prof sent like us to bars in character. character. Um, we set up little apartments that we thought would look like um, what our character would have. Yeah. You, Is yeah. it a cr- Based character on you're someone creating that you know, or someone that um, So the person I chose has no idea that I ever wow. used that person, but I knew her really well. And sometimes I would be socializing with that person and say, what would you do if mm. this happened? Only because I was using her as material. That's so fascinating. Now, yeah, these days. And ethically I, kind of, question, not questionable, but questionable. ethically, you know, like you should maybe tell the person or I don't know what consent is these days. But yeah. In the 80s, it was all <laughs> they still not? West. Did they still not know that you did they this? They still don't know. So funny. No idea. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I became part of that company and I'd always wanted to write and I had written, but through this process, I actually, I found it 
very meaningful. And I love the work. We had a series of plays that came out of that that we toured across Canada. We had our own festival at the West End Cultural Center. Um, our play premiered at the Tarragon. It didn't premiere, but we performed it at the Tarragon Extra Space in Toronto. Um, it was it was very in, a very interesting process. And then a, that company just exploded as young people in theaters, companies will. And um, then I went on to write my first solo show from there. Mm. So I was really ensconced in the theater world. Very cool. I mean, I love hanging around artists. What is it like surrounding yourself with artists, and how, how does that enrich your life? Wow. Um, I feel like all I know are artists, and they're, they're fantastic people. They're really, I find them to be extremely curious, and um, people that really, like, know how to help and know how to make something happen and they're they love to laugh and look for laughs so you know like when you're with an artist kind of well i'm surprised you say you're not an artist because i mean i could i guess i kind of i used to be in bands and stuff so that was just oh, yeah. nowadays i'm more of a producer than an artist but, right you know well you they're people like you who are curious and fun and 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 know how to get things done yeah it's yeah definitely very cool um, so how did this whole how did escape come to be how did you hear about cinematoba and just maybe take me back to the beginning of how, when did you write it and then now you got to make it so give me the story of escape okay well um I guess it it stems to my very first solo play after the rude players broke up um, I was thinking, uh, what should I do? I think I can write a play on my own. And um, because I'm into kind of esoteric things, people always, when something weird happens, they're like, let's tell Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> so people heard about um, the Hamilton House in Elmwood, and I lived in Elmwood at the time. And it was actually right across from my bus stop. And they said, Hamilton House, there's something really weird. Like, you should look into it. I heard something about it. But no one had any answers for me. So one day, I just kind of popped into the archives. After a few years of wondering what Hamilton House was, it's a Victorian house on um, uh, just in Elmwood. So um, I was directed. Uh, the archives downtown said, we, we don't have any information, but the U of M archives can tell you all about it. They've got it there. So one day I just went down to the U of M archives and I asked for the Hamilton collection. They put down a banker box in front of me. I opened it, I took out something and the first thing I held in my hand was a seance picture from, mm. uh, seances happened in that house in Elmwood wow. in the 30s and 40s and maybe even more. Um, so, uh, I had in my handbag at the time a biography of Houdini because okay. I love magic and anything part peculiar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was reading about Marjorie Crandon who had gone head to head with Houdini and Houdini could not debunk her. She Ooh. was a spiritualist. He couldn't get her. So I was reading that story at the time and as I go through this collection, I'm holding in my hand a letter from Marjorie Crandon's husband arranging a trip for Marjorie to come to Elmwood. And um, my mind was blown. And I thought, this is going to be my play. Mm. And uh, because a lot of people don't know that Elmwood was the center for spiritualism and seances in North America in the 30s and 40s. I did definitely know. did not know that. Hence my play, The Elmwood Visitation. So I wrote the play, Theater Projects, Manitoba, 
uh, produced it. And we were looking for someone to help us simulate what happened in the seances. Mm. We needed ectoplasm. We needed um, a horn appearing in the dark and floating. Um, we needed a lot of very strange things. And we thought, who is going to do this? And so we're like, oh, well, Dean Gunnarsson is a local magician. Let's ask him. You know, we'll never be able to afford him. He's famous. We asked him, and he's so, he was so into the topic and so keen. Mm. He came and did it. I don't know what they paid him, but it would not be anything near what Yeah, I've heard of Dean Gunnarsson, actually. Oh, so, he's, yeah. he's, he's like this national treasure that m- few Manitobans actually know. He lives up in Onanol. Cool. So Dean came down, and um, I needed like an epic magic trick in the show. And I had written the sign, The Lady in Half, because that was the only mm. one I really knew. And he said, no, I've got Houdini's milk can escape, actually, at my house. <laughs> so, um, uh, so he brought the milk can. It's a water escape. And the actress, Monique Marker, had to perform that trick. Ooh. But because it's a water escape, he... He said, I cannot ethically train her and let her do this on her own. I need to be beside her every night. So he got written into the play. Amazing. (laughs) So he was there every night. And I was like... As the assistant or what? Yeah, and he's dressed in a little period. um, He looks like a little bell cap uh, guy. And um, he was right. He performed it. And it was so cute. And he was fantastic. And um, I would... I forgot it was the playwright. And I ran around beside Dean, like with a glue gun and a staple gun. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Mm. And I helped him build the effects. And um, we had such a grand time on that show that years later, he he heard I was teaching, I teach creative writing at Brandon University. And he heard I was there, he rang me up and said, um, I have something to propose to you. Can I meet you at the Starbucks in Brandon? So I'm like, I was curious, I met him. And he said, I'd like you to write the story of my life. Because I found real magic. Mm. I'm like, and then I get goosebumps. Goosebumps, yeah. And um, so he told me what he meant. What year is this, roughly? um, This would be maybe um, late 90s. Okay. Late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. I'm not good. No, early 2000s. I, too, especially after the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Years from me are like, was it last week or six years ago? Like, it's so hard nowadays. But. No, it's, so, like, yeah. 20 years ago or so. 20 years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe 15. Okay. Yeah. When you put it that way. Yeah. Maybe 15. <laughs> so, um, I said, yeah, I'll do it. But that was because, like, I was a playwright and I'd never written a biography before. Mm-hmm. If I had known how, like, I was actually on on my knees saying, I can't do this. Mm. I, I've never had a writer's block in my life, but this wow. one challenged me. It was terrifying. And, um, but anyway, we did it. I wrote the story, and it became a book called uh, Dean Gunnarsson, The Making of an Escape Artist. Mm. And he had um, childhood leukemia. And yeah, so he, he, is, he dies in, during an escape, like... It's a fascinating wow. story. And I, you know, you tell people he actually died during an escape. And in this book, he describes what it's like to die. Everybody wants, like, what's that chapter? <laughs> it's fascinating. What a way to go for, like, an illusionist or an escape artist, right? Like- well, and I think because, um, because he, he knew, like, he knew as an escape artist what to, how to die. That's the thing. He knew how to die for the best chance of being revived. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. It's 
heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. So how does this pertain to the film then? So, um, so the book comes out and life goes on and the pandemic's on and I'm living in my buddy's basement. I'm on the um, internet and I see the Cinematoba ad. I'm like, well, that's really interesting. And it came upstairs and I said, I just saw this Cinematoba call. And I'm writing, I took the pandemic to write two horror movies. Mm. I'm like, I'm getting into screenplay. I hired a screenplay mentor. I love horror movies, the good ones, not the gross ones. I'm like, I'm writing these two horror movies, and that's what I'm doing. So I came upstairs, and I said, ah, Cinematoba's looking for a story of generosity. It's too bad they're not asking for a thriller. (laughs) And my buddy goes, well, you can do a story of generosity. I'm like, no, I write thrillers. She said, Carolyn... (laughs) Every day you come home and tell me about the fantastic people you meet, the generous people. Mm. She said, what about Dean Gunnarsson? Mm. I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks for reminding me. And I thought, oh, there's a million stories of generosity from Dean Gunnarsson. You already know his story and his life so intimately from the book. Yeah. Now you can kind of. So how did you um, adapt it for the screen? Well, I... I got the idea, and I asked Dean what he thought, and I popped up to Riding Mountain in his amazing warehouse he calls the morgue that mm. is full of magic history. Curiosities. Oh, you've got to see it. Cool. It's, it's, it is, that place is a treasure. Um, and he told me a story that wasn't quite in the book, and something hilarious that wasn't in the book, because he's always thinking of new things, you know. And I thought, oh my God, that is hilarious. So um, it's really based on kind of new anecdotes, kind of a, a little bit about the book, but it's a lot of new material too. Cool. So um, so yeah, I put that together. and Amazing. And so your crew was a lot of theater people too. Did that yeah. affect how the film looks and plays a little bit? Like is it sort of a play on screen or did you, or can you t- talk about the process a little bit? Well, um, one of my best buddies um, well, yeah, it's all theater women, really, that ha- that um, are responsible for Escape. Um, one of my best buddies, um, she is a dr- uh, theater director, but she has um, done costumes in film for 30 years. She knows the film medium really well. And the first thing that she and her friend did there in the pandemic was make their first feature film mm-hmm. of Macbeth, mm-hmm. which just won Best Film at a Wales um, film contest. Amazing. Yeah. And they they hired me um, for that film to play Hecate the Witch. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. And there um, are three witches? Uh, there's three witches yeah. and Hecate's, Hecate, Hecate, Hecate's like in charge of them all. Right. And feels really left out and gives them a big guilt trip. Gotcha. <laughs> She's often cut out of, but they put it in because they thought I'd be a good mother witch. Cool. <laughs> so, um, so Michelle um, was bemoaning the fact that... Um, She's a very established director, but can't make the break into film mm. unless she does it herself. Mm-hmm. She had to do it indie. She had to make that space for herself. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm a theater woman. I'm a playwright, but I want to break into film. Here I am. I'm busting my butt to work on screenplay all through the pandemic. Let's see if we can make space for each other somehow. That's what we vowed during the pandemic. So when this opportunity came up, I contacted Michelle and said, I'm going to write it, and you direct it if we get it. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Can you, this, uh, 
can you this reminds me of just sort of the uh, the community in Manitoba the filmmaking the theater the creative community talk about what it's like gathering sort of all these stars from different areas and so much talent in this in this province and then bringing them together to, to work on something together what's that like it was pure magic um, no pun intended <laughs> right <laughs> it yeah, like, um, you know, Sarah Constable was our cinematographer, who's a very established actor, but has a wonderful eye. Um, Lisa Nelson Fries, who was the CEO of Shakespeare in the Ruins, mm. she wanted to, she wants to produce film. So it's all these women who have been in theater forever and want to make the break and making that opportunity for themselves. And like theater people, especially theater women, they are the biggest troopers I know. If you want anything done, they do it, and they do it thoroughly. So during this process, my life like exploded. My, my brother, who had mental health issues and had been missing for seven years, he turned up during this process, and he died. And then my mother died. <laughs> Oh. My life went was absolute uh, chaos, and nothing faltered with this production because I had this net of theater women. Support. They held me up, and it was truly beautiful. No so maybe I thought, hey, guys, I'm bestowing this upon you, but they bestowed the greatest gift on me by holding me up. That's it so was, beautiful. It was beautiful. Well, yeah. I'm sorry for your losses. That's holy smokes. All in such year. a oh, it, compounded by the pandemic and the traumatic, like, you know, the shared traumatic experience everyone's going through. And then you go through that deeply yeah. intense personal tra traumas. Yeah. That's tough. Did it affect the work at all? Did it affect, like, the, the final product? It, it, I think it, it honestly, I don't know, it made... The experience was richer because of um, the way we all held each other. Mm. Um, and, yeah, we were just, we really, like, knuckled down and worked together every inch of the way. And Michelle is a real leader. So we would often, she'd be like, everyone over to my house for a chicken dinner. Mm. <laughs> We'd be around the table and sorting everything out together. And with, with such kindness. Um, so uh, I, I wrote the screenplay. We went through multiple drafts, multiple readings, because that's what we do in theater. We workshop scripts. And then they pulled it away from the book and pulled it out of the theater, theater world and helped me realize it in a filmic way. Yeah. Um, and uh, then, you know, when I was done that job, I became the PA because I used to be a PA in film. I was really like gunning for a film career 20 years ago when there was more drama. PA is a production assistant? Yes, yeah. yeah. And suddenly like, suddenly I was PAing and um, they said to me afterwards, hey, you did great today. I don't think they knew that I had been a PA. Mm. I'm like, thank so you. That's so funny. <laughs> Any funny um, or interesting or noteworthy moments on set that you, can, that you remember that pop up? Any funny stories? Oh, wow. Um, well, we had Dean Gunnarsson on set, <laughs> which was amazing. And um, we had... Did he play himself, or what was the... He played or, a doctor. Okay. He played the, the uh, cancer doctor to, to the young um, Phil. Version of himself? No, the young version of himself is now volunteering on the cancer ward. Mm. And the young version of himself meets a younger 
boy who's going through the same thing he was going through and their dean is as the doctor walking through so that was absolutely delightful um uh, michelle and sarah had this fabulous idea of um like we had to make kids drawings to make this ward look like a kid's cancer ward so i got to draw um a lot of cartoons and kids drawings and i put a few secret messages in those kids oh, I drawings. Love little easter eggs like that <laughs> yeah i mean my the best drawing I could possibly do would look like a five-year-old did it. So if you ever need someone else, because like <laughs> artistry is not my my middle name. Um, so you mentioned the cast was women in Cinematoba. All five filmmakers are women. All five mentors are women that you were partnered with. What does that mean? Can you speak to just the power of of female creativity? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we're living it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for like our mentor, um, Elise uh, Swearhorn, she was um, phenomenal. Uh, she just has like a wealth of experience and spoke to us like from a, pl like she understood us completely and mm. she was so supportive. And um, I, I kept having script meetings with her and, um, and then uh, she said, do you think Michelle and Sarah would like to have a meeting with me, too? I said, I'm sure they would. Of course. So then we all got in there, and um, she had a way of boosting each of us up while pushing us to go forward. And I think that is particular to a woman, I would say. Mm, just the touch, the, the understanding touch. of um, pushing to help reach your potential, but also not being abrasive, you know, like... A, mean about it right yeah. like there's a way of doing that that's kind of gentle but also um forceful in a way yeah she yeah. was gentle and forceful never once um knocked us down to pull us up but was like just rising us up the whole time amazing um so the 27th is coming up what are you most looking forward to uh for cinematoba when we're gonna go all gather together and people will see your film well not people but the masses will see your film for the first time. How are, are you looking forward to it? Are you scared? Are you nervous? Are you excited? What are, what are you feeling? I'm delighted. Uh, I can't, I, I've met um, the other women um, at a workshop through this program and love them. And I know we've all, like, sometimes it was hard. Like, we chose, in our production, we chose to invest a bunch of our own money and make it bigger than mm. we had anticipated. Um, and that was, that was hard. And I couldn't help but wonder like what is everyone else going through mm. is it like is it a struggle has it been easy um what were their you know what were their favorite moments what has been the hardest thing i cannot wait to see what they've done i have no idea and i can't wait to share because mm. ours is like i'm so proud of it i love it so much i can't wait to to share yeah the 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 collective creative process speaking personally at least like I kind of at first was only you know you'd, you'd work with one person or two persons or sometimes I would just work by myself and and be, being able to be vulnerable enough to open up um you know this is your baby essentially right yeah. and and you're yeah. wanting to make it perfect and have everything where it needs to be but then it's it's hard to um allow others to um give their especially if it's not your original um vision for it yeah. maybe just talk about the process of like 
opening yourself up to collaboration and what that what that's been like in the film industry and in the theater industry I think theater people are often come from a tradition of collaboration so I'm really well versed in collaborating I know that my original vision is not going to be what's on screen. Mm. Well, there's a humility to that, right? To like. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 and and just like being, I, I'm not sure where everyone else is coming from, but I know I've seen it a million times in my own work. It's like, and in this in this project, like, I know I wrote the lines for this, but I know the lines are now cut, and it's now just the expression on the actor's face, mm. and I know that expression makes me weep, and it's my favorite mm. part in the whole film. And I know my lines are no longer there. And I'm okay with that because we got the look. That's fascinating. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's all in support of the story that you're telling, right? As long as the story is told, it doesn't matter if it's a word that says it or a look or a, or a, or a, or a shot of something. You know what I mean? Show, don't tell is kind of that old famous thing. But like, was there, I, I mean, I, it's hard to ask questions having not seen the film myself. I'm very excited to see it without spoilers or anything. But like, what, can you give me an example of something like that where like, I originally thought it was going to be A, but we ended up doing Z instead of the... What, what I had originally thought. Oh my God. There's, there's so many really, of those eh? moments. Awesome. Um, there's, um, well, there's a moment where the young Dean hears a comment and he knows just by hearing the father's comment, you have to come to the farm. We're going home. Mm-hmm. That means that the young fellow is, his cancer is back mm-hmm. and they're taking him home so he can die there. That's what it means. But, you s- and you see it all in the actor's eyes. And it was originally written as a conversation? Or it was like, yeah. originally oh, written wow. as a conversation. That's so good. And, but I know, like, I'm okay with knowing, like, I'm the basis for that. Right. Look. Right. I'm, like, and actually, Dean is the basis for right. that. It's, like, multi-layered. For sure. I'm just part, I'm just one layer. And, I mean, literally, it's happened to me a million times since I started in in theater when I was like 17 years old. <laughs> so I get it. That's so lovely. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on on being comfortable with that collaboration and vulnerable enough with like, just because it, you know, your idea is not the most, the best idea all the time, you know? And I yeah. just gotta kind of teach myself that, but I'll get there, we'll get there. Any, <laughs> any tips to help like with that collaboration process and trusting others when you maybe never work with some people before? I think um, give yourself a good team and um, don't, uh, I always tell writers this when I teach creative writing, when someone gives you a critique, don't, don't answer back right away. Mm. Let it sink in. Mm. Let it sink in for a long time and, and have a look at it. Maybe shoot it both ways if you don't believe it and then maybe you'll see it. Right. But yeah, just, just Open yourself up as uncomfortable as that can be. I, I think that applies to to interpersonal relationships. Like you don't need to respond right away when someone says something that maybe is a conflict or a difficult thing to hear. You don't need to immediately respond. You can take a moment and maybe see if you're still upset tomorrow, and then you can have a conversation. That's a really good one. Yeah. Um, what are you most hoping people take away from watching Escape? Oh wow, there's so many things. Um, I hope they take away that Dean Gunnerson is this our provincial and national treasure. Um, he's got an incredible story to tell, and um, 
I hope they take away that this is a team of theater women <laughs> um, who work together like we, we were like a Swiss clock. <laughs> and um, that's like, we have a lot of local pride. We have a lot of skilled local people. A lot of people came to the table to help us. Michelle has like 30 years experience in the film industry. A lot of really fantastic people volunteered for us for nothing. Um, we have the best people in Manitoba. We really do. I love that. That's great to hear. So on the Because and Effect podcast, at the end of our time together, we do a segment called Just Because, where I ask seven questions about the causes you care about and the effect that it's had on your life. You okay to go through those with yeah, us? Yeah, okay, sure. Great. So question one, what is the very first cause you ever remember caring about in your life? Wow. <laughs> the very first cause. I guess... I guess I cared about um, cancer care for people mm. because I lost my father when I was 12 to cancer, which really deepens, you know, the reason for working with Dean on this cancer mm. story. Oh, my gosh. The layers. The layers. The onion that you're unpeeling the here. The onion. Oh, that's And so Michelle, our director, had breast cancer during, during the pandemic. Well, that's such a universal story. Yeah. Everybody knows somebody or is related to somebody. So, oh my gosh, I'm going to be crying, aren't I, at I this know. event? Me too. <laughs> well, that's okay. Um, so right now, what is what would you say your current cause is that you're most passionate about? Well, mm, um, my boyfriend and I just moved in together, mm -hmm. and we instantly um, adopted a World Vision child. Oh, wow. So we can share a child together. Oh my gosh. So we're very thrilled about that. That's very cool. And also, um, you know, I'm a big dog rescue person. I saw the tattoo. You got yeah. a, well, some of my rescue pups. So um, I'm always um, looking out for rescue animals. Beautiful. So question two is, if money and politics and logistics were no issue, you could just snap your fingers, make a wish, and something would happen, what would you do in support of your current cause? Oh, wow. Well, because I'm from, um, I live in Point Douglas, and I've seen, um, like, conditions decline over the mm. last few years. And uh, right on the edge of our street is the, um, the uh, North Point Douglas Women's Center. Mm -hmm. Beautiful organization. Beautiful. Yeah. I would love to give them like $5 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such important work. Powerful and important work. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think there's, there's so many people in Point Douglas that need, um, they need a lot of things. Yeah. And the need outweighs the capacity in a lot of those organizations right now. So yeah. just increasing their capacity would be a beautiful thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about that particular cause? What do you think is the biggest stigma about just the need um, for, for folks nowadays? I th well, um, I think there's, there's tons of stigma about North Point Douglas. Um, people are like really harp on it being um, so violent mm. and um, scared to like get out of the, come over to my house mm -hmm. and scared to get out of the car. And um, it's a beautiful neighborhood. Um, there are wonderful people there. And, but a lot of people, especially kids, that you fear that they're slipping through the cracks. Mm. So um, I think it's very worthwhile to be in North Point Douglas and being a good neighbor and walking the streets with my dog and, mm -hmm. and um, trying to be a positive force in the neighborhood. Yeah. Just be visible, be present, be, yeah. hey, we're here. What do you need? Need yeah. a hand? Yeah, beautiful. Uh, what is a recent victory, either personally or professionally? That you, that's question four. What is a recent victory you can, that you're proud of that you can share with us? <laughs> hmm. You've had a crazy couple years. Crazy couple <laughs> years. Um, I think um, 
Yeah, I think life is really as as difficult as the last couple of years have been. Life has turned around for me remarkably because, um, I guess, because of therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we had a very dark family history um, with um, the mental illness of my brother and the um, untimely death of my father. And um, that was really buried for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now everything is... Everything has light shining on it, and life feels a lot easier. So I think a victory is really facing fa- facing the dysfunctional past. <laughs> that's transformational. That's, that's historic. Been. You know, like the um, intergenerational trauma is a word that we hear a lot these days, and I think we're the first generation that even had the word trauma. You know, like my, our, my parents and grandparents, it was like, that was just life back, back then, right? So yeah. for us to, to now have to put words to some of these things and to try to unpack them uh, through therapy or through conversation is, I think, really, really powerful. And, and yeah. congratulations. Yeah, that's <laughs> huge. My, um, I, yeah, my mother, like, she, w- she was not in a place where she could, where she could talk about the mental illness of her son and ask for help because it, she was taught to be ashamed of that. Talk about stigma. Talk about stigma. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Um, question five. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Whoa. <laughs> um, well, I work with a beautiful co-worker named Janine Chunky at Prairie Fire Press. We run a literary magazine. And um, she has a lot of great advice. But she always says, we never give up. And she always says, spiral up. We're spiraling up. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> so we endeavor to, oh, we never spiral down. We spiral up and try to have a broader view of things. Just keep swimming. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful. Uh, question six. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to her? Oh, I would tell her, um, it's all going to be okay. Yeah, just keep going. Just keep swimming. Yeah. Beautiful. And the last question, Carolyn, thank you so much for, for coming on down to our offices. Thank you for making your film. Thank you for applying to Cinematoba. Thanks for coming on CTV with me a couple <laughs> oh, yeah, months that ago. Was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the last question is the hardest one. Uh-oh. What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, whoa. <laughs> I want to be remembered for being a good friend. Beautiful. Simple. That's all you need. Carolyn Gray, filmmaker, director, writer, creative extraordinaire. Thank you for being on the Because and Effect podcast. We'll see you on the 27th of September for Cinematoba. Uh, Anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, you've made me cry. (laughs) I'm sorry slash you're welcome. I don't know if it, because it is a good thing. Thank you. Thank Thank you you. for that. Thank you for this um, amazing opportunity. My pleasure. Um, We're all, all of our gang are thrilled dean is over the moon he's coming oh my goodness he'll probably perform if you want him to he'll do a little bit of magic our dream is to that we always wanted to make a short film of his story and take it around to producers as proof of concept because we believe strongly this should be a feature film awesome so this is this is a very key step in our dream Well, good luck with everything in the future. We'll see you on the 27th. Thank you again, Carolyn Gray, filmmaker and creator of Escape, one of the five films for Cinematoba. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode, and thank you again to Carolyn for the conversation. Um, so this is the first film, and we are officially releasing the first film out of the five films for Cinematoba the day this podcast comes out. So if you're listening to this now, the episode is out, and the first film, Escape, is out. You can see what Carolyn and her team created and what we were just talking about, the story of Dean Gunnarsson that she wrote and created. So visit WPGFDN.org to see that film. We'll also be releasing the other four films in back-to-back weeks every single week for the next four weeks, so stay tuned to WPGFDN.org and stay tuned to Because and Effect if you want to hear uh, the stories and the films and the behind-the-scenes of all the Cinematoba filmmakers. All music on Because and Effect is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify. Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about our programs and partnerships, you can visit WPGFDN.org and follow us on most of the social media platforms at WPGFDN. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on social media. You can find me there. Thank you for listening this deep into the show if you're still listening. Thank you so much. And remember, what the eyes see and the ears hear, the mind believes. Bye-bye.